Hello and welcome to AIPT Comics Podcast, the number one comics podcast on AIPTcomics.com. My name is David Brook and I'm here with Forrest Hollingsworth, your final show, sir. Hello, my name is Forrest with two R's. I'm ready to podcast about comics for the last time. Ever, maybe. I'm here, I'm ready. You're retired. I am retiring from the game. Um, if you didn't catch it last week, I am... Uh, leaving the show. Dave and I talked about it off air. We also talked about it on the show last week. Um, I have made the difficult decision to leave the show. I'm, as I've said, online and offline, uh, struggling with a mental health emergency, a personal, very personal mental health emergency. The responsibilities in my personal and professional life have changed a lot over the last year. It's made it really difficult to commit to my own hobbies and especially the show as much as I would like. Um, but I am really, really immensely grateful for the two plus years that we've podcasted about comics and, and <laughs> as high stakes and as low stakes as it has felt over those two years, I guess. Um, I'm really, really thankful to the creators that have spent their time with us. I'm really thankful if you're listening to this episode right now. Um, and I want to say too, that I'm, I'm very, very thankful for you, Dave. Well, thank you. I think you're an amazingly dedicated and talented creator. You have a lot of new ideas and a lot of energy. And I know we've talked a little bit about some of the stuff you have lined up in the coming months. Um, new co-host, Nathan Simmons, that you have coming on to the show. Um, and I'm really excited to kind of assume the role of a listener. Mm. You know, that'll yeah. be fun. Yeah, the show wouldn't be what it is without you. And it will definitely be different as we move forward. Yeah. Uh, for better or worse, I think, uh, as listeners will discover over the next few weeks when we, when we find our new show identity. <laughs> and I, you know, I'm feeling very sad and it's been a really hard year for me. And But I'm also glad and happy and feeling warm and reminiscent about some of the things we've done and some of the people we've talked to. And I want to call that out, too. We should have a, a podcast super fan do a montage of our best moments <laughs> and then play it over like sad music or, or, or happy. I don't know. <laughs> Sullen music. <laughs> it would just be the logo on like a black and white video. Yeah, I was thinking, what about that song they do with the animals that are that need In to be? The arms of the <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, that one. That'd be perfect. We're gonna have a regular show after this, but I just want to reiterate that this year's been really hard. If you've been at home or you've been having to go to work, or if you've if you've lost people due the to the pandemic or um, you're at risk of losing people, your jobs, uh, people in your life, uh, it sneaks up on you. It's very, very easy to fall into this routine of, I just need to get through this week and I just need to get through the next week. Oh, and I also just need to get through this week. And um, at some point that weight all comes crashing down on you, I think, emotionally and, and sometimes even physically. Um, and I urge people to do a little bit of self-reflection and make sure that they're okay and check in with people and make sure that they're okay. Your friends, your loved ones, your podcast co-hosts. I just want the best for everyone. And I appreciate all the people that have said kind words to me as I take the space to do that for myself. Um, I've got all my hottest takes loaded up for this week's news. <laughs> yeah, we want all the rants. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Uh, well, so later in the show, um, moving on to the regular show here, uh, later in the show, uh, Chip Zdarsky and Jason Liu are going to be on to talk about Afterlift. Uh, it's a Eisner winning comicsology original series that is 
soon to become a Dark Horse physical book you can buy in a bookstore. We're going to talk all about Afterlift, maybe a little bit of other details about, uh, I mean, Chip Zdarsky's all over the news this week, so it's crazy that he's on this week. Um, <laughs> yeah. So maybe, maybe we'll get into some of those other things. Speaking of, if you're joining us for the first time, this is the Comic Book Podcast where we talk about the latest news, uh, we review the latest comic books, and we talk about the week ahead, as well as have guests, of course. To start every show, we talk about the news. The biggest news of the week to keep you up to date and connected. That's the slogan I came up with anyway. <laughs> um, in the top news, I think it's the top news. It was it was the pretty much the first news of the week, actually. Mm. The Old Guard. Uh, you may know it from a Netflix show, but it was originally a comic book series. It's getting a anthology sequel called Tales Through Time. It's got Kelly Sudaconic, Brian Michael Bendis, and more joining in to tell... I think one-shot tales in a six-issue series. And, of course, Greg Rucka, who created the series, is also involved. Mm. Mm-hmm. I-, I never got into this series when it first came out. I'm it's interested. It's way weirder than the yeah. movie would make you think. I bet. Mm-hmm. Like, the yeah. comic is really weird and esoteric feeling, and, like, it kind of throws you into the deep end of things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, actually, my immediate thought was, oh, good. Like, bring some other people in that maybe create comics more often than Rucka does. Rucka Mm -hmm. doesn't get very many things out yearly or even year over year. Mm -hmm. Um, And you have some real workhorses here. Like, when has Brian Michael Bendis not written 100 pages in his career? (laughs) So that's good, right? Like, it's good to just get a lot of energy into that. And obviously, they're all trying to... To cash in on the, the marketing money and the Netflix adaptation money that's there. I mean, Charlize Theron is attached to your project, right? Yeah. That's good. It's cool. Yeah, it is. I'm, yeah. I'm happy for them. I also, like you kind of said, I don't care about this property at all. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea of these, like, immortals that are, like, defenders of against evil and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it, there's so much opportunity to tell different stories in different eras. But, yeah, you're right. I don't know. It just never never stuck with me when I tried when I started reading it when it was starting to come out yeah it didn't with me either I felt like I was reading the second volume mm. when it came out mm-hmm. um and that's that's a hard for someone to buy into right um and I hope that these folks will make it a little bit more coherent or easier to engage with yeah we can only hope and yeah. I mean since it is an anthology it'll probably have an easy buy-in for every issue yes yeah that too yeah speaking of buy-in speaking of anthologies uh michael walsh is heading a new anthology series at image comics called the silver coin this is bigger news than it probably would have been if image just sent a press release because walsh had the smart move of um releasing a picture with like a very nondescript kind of sort of horror picture uh, with a name on it, which was his name. Chip Zdarsky's name showed up one day. Kelly Thompson, uh, Ed Brisson. These people's names just started popping up on the on the graphic every other day. And then it was revealed by IGN exclusively that this the Silver Coin anthology, horror anthology, is going to start coming out in April. Um, the concept is intriguing to me. Let me find it. Where was it? A coin, a supernatural coin through yes. rolls through time, destroying yes. the lives of everyone that finds it. That's cool, right? It's almost like, wait, is that like that movie um, where they call, the little girl calls you and you die? What is that movie called? The Ring? <laughs> yes. Kind of. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. Yeah, kind of. I literally just thought of that while I was saying that. Sorry. It's interesting. 
Um, Walsh evokes the the collaborative world building storytelling of Black Hammer here too, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. and they're obviously like harping on a lot of other horror tropes and creators. Like one of the art pieces that IGN has up looks exactly like Junji Ito. Yeah. Um, yeah. And some of the other stuff is like very evocative of like 80s horror and even like creature features, Black Lagoon type stuff. So it's interesting. It feels very disparate. Uh-huh. Um, as the names were kind of added over the past two weeks, this is not what I expected. Um, yeah, I, I forgot to say Jeff Lemire, which might be the biggest name yeah, of all of them. <laughs> yeah. Um, there are some creators. I don't need to. Maybe I can. It's my last episode. There's some creators I really like attached to this, and there's some that I really don't. Uh-huh. And I wonder how the, it's going to read issue to issue. With yeah, that you're kind right. of quality. The balance of it. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Since this is your last show, you should just let loose. <laughs> I don't care for Ed Brisson or Kelly Thompson. Okay. Um, I think that they wrote That's my, my least favorite contributions to the new era of X-Men so far. Mm-hmm. And like... I can kind of call out the things even in the lead up to age of X-Man that was them. Yeah. And like, I don't know. Horror could be a totally different thing that allows them to sink their teeth into it, so to speak, and, and really explore some new genres or some new touchstones. But the drop in quality between Brisson's new mutants and Hickman's new mutants is extreme. You think he'll get that again when he takes over a con- one of the yeah, issues? Yeah, I think it'll just make it feel re- really uneven. Mm. Hey, wait a minute. With Haha coming out, and we know Prince is writing that yeah. with a different artist every mm-hmm. issue, and then this, and then you got DC just pumping out anthologies. And Razor what? Blades, too. It's kind of the, it's kind of across the entire market right now. Yeah. I be, by, the, by 2022, we're going to just have anthology books, apparently. Yeah. I don't know. I. It's cool. It's... I think creators really benefit from having limitations. Yeah. And sometimes those limitations can be really artificial. Like it doesn't matter. You can just impose something. Right. Right. Um, And so like, it is an interesting creative challenge to say, I've got three pages. It's sort of like movie directors. Yeah. Right. It is when they only have like $10 million when they should have 80 and somehow they pull it off. Yes. I mean, some of the best horror movies of all time are low budget $1 million movies. Right. Right. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing how that plays out. I mean, obviously I I picked so many anthology comics as my favorite comic of the week last year. So (laughs) yeah, probably will end up on my list. Yeah. I guess I appreciate the, um, there's a certain risk reward calculation that you have to do. I think. Right, but right. I never feel like a sunken cost when I'm burnt out on an anthology or even just like one smaller story in an anthology. Mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes you get through, let's say, 50 or so issues of Amazing Spider-Man and decide, this fucking sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. that feels way worse to me. True, and especially with a, a comic like Spider-Man because there's this ingrained... I'm dedicated to this series. I'll read every issue. Yeah. Right. Right. So you hold on. Right. Hoping. Yeah. It's like a bad relationship. It's like an obligation. End. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe, you know, approaching a book and reading it like it's already an obligation is not a good thing to do. Right. Right. But... Evaluate your relationship to comics before you read them, <laughs> folks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of sinking your cash into new series, Image Comics also revealed they have three other new series coming out in April. One is called Helm Gray Castle. The other 
is uh, uh, Jules Verne's Lighthouse, and then the other is called Home. All three are wildly different from each other. Uh, one is a fantasy series, that would be Helm Grey Castle. Uh, the other is a sci-fi, uh, hard sci-fi uh, series. And then the other, Home, is a series kind of pl- doing a play on, you know, Superman, but what if he was a child immigrant coming into America? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the immigration story for a new age and a new generation mm. and new kind of sociopolitical anxieties. Um, two of these, I'm not so sure about Lighthouse. But uh, yeah. two of them are Latinx focused as well. Um, and so that's very cool. Yeah, you know, this Lighthouse one, if you look at the art, it actually, it reminds me of um, East of West. Mm, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I guess it's the guy on the horse or whatever that thing is. I mean, I was, I, I'm more immediately drawn to home, especially the modernization of that story. Not that Superman's not doing a good job of telling that story even now sometimes. Sure. But like the visuals and the optics and stuff of it are very different. And I think that that's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Grey Castle looks interesting, if only to subvert kind of the ethno state nationalist whiteness of a lot of fantasy stories. Right, right. I will say that, like, Helm Grey Castle, that sounds exactly like a He-Man tie-in. And you <laughs> yeah. should have workshopped your title a little bit more. Helm Grey Castle, yeah. I, I know it's Grey Skull, but sure. I honestly thought it was, like, an alternate universe He-Man thing at first. Maybe the biggest news of the week, but somehow it's buried four newses in. Maybe not. I don't know. DC Comics is replacing DC Universe with a new streaming platform just for comics and they came up with a shiny, brand new, original name called DC Universe Infinite. They threw, but the, you know, it's well timed since they have Infinite uh, Frontier coming out in in April, I think. Yeah, too. yeah. Um, so this is a like it is their response to Comicsology and their response to um, Marvel Unlimited. It's like a soft reboot of the existing service that they had, and that's because a lot of their other content has been assumed by HBO Max. Um, right, so there's no more television or movies on this yeah. like it was on DC Universe. Yeah, but they are pr- promoting and promising a quicker turnaround time for comics. Right. Um, and I think that's good. Like, If that's what comic readers want, why would you want to be bogged down with their bad shows like Titans? <laughs> right. And the the reverse of that is like, go over to HBO and catch Doom Patrol or catch that animated Harley Quinn show if that's what you're into. Right. Um, they are and have been and have been for a long time totally completely different mediums and audiences sure they there is no reason aside from jeff johns being connected to both sides of things inexplicably for them to act like they're marketing the same thing to the same people it's just not the case and so if you can develop some of those projects with the help of hbo and if hbo is getting to pad their catalog because of your properties and then also you can service comics readers more quickly yeah yeah why yeah. not? I don't. It's a good thing. They are saying there are new features, but they're not that great, in my opinion. I mean, enhanced comic reader. Uh, they're going to get the new titles six months later. You also can get Vertigo books on here soon because they'll be upgrading or it's not upgrading, um, refreshing the library with old um, titles all the time, including Vertigo. You can do one of those things like where they have on Amazon where you can click a product and see what it'll look like in your house. Um, and it really no <laughs> it's the thing here's one thing i want to say 
It's $8 a month. The price has not changed, even though they're removing the TV and movies from it. Isn't that odd? Yeah. How much is Kinda Marvel odd. Unlimited? Like $6.99? Not sure. I think it's like $6.99, because an annual membership is like 60 bucks, And it's a slight it discount. So I think, yeah. Uh, and then Marvel Unlimited, you get those titles three months later, not just not six. So you get them even earlier. Yeah. But it's, you know. It's different. Um, sure. I noticed I have some friends that are doing like complete read throughs of Superman and stuff. And yeah. they have said like, there's some weird chunks of runs missing from DC's oh, app. Like yeah, they'll yeah. be like, uh, my friend Corey will be like, oh, it's missing Superman 330 through 345. And I don't know why. Right. Right. Uh, that's really yeah. weird. I think like hopefully that if they have a more dedicated channel or more dedicated team just for the comics side of things. That yeah. they can fix that. Hopefully they can get the interns on it so they can scan all the pages. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I can project them into my home. There you go. Also in the news, uh, Boom Studios is launching a new series called The Many Deaths of Layla Starr. And it's by Ram V <gasps> and Philip Andrade. This is an all-star duo. They also got a David Mack variant cover. Go check that out on amptcomics.com. This thing looks like it fucks. <laughs> it looks cool. Yeah. Um, Boom hasn't been coming out hot with the new series like they did a year ago when we had, you know, Cy Spurrier and Chris Wildgoose on to talk about Alienated. It seems like they slowed down a little bit. Yeah, I but... think they were kind of letting everything finish last year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And now they're they're ramping up again. Yeah, maybe this is the first push. I kind of feel like, you know, uh, Boom was my sleeper pick last year. Yeah. TKO won out because I think that they have a really interesting proposition with their Digital Anywhere series. But, like, Boom was the sleeper hit. Like, every time I liked an indie, it wasn't Image. It was Boom. Um, and there are a lot of concerns that I have with uh, caping for Boom, I think, because they notably have a lot of problems with paying creators and right. with uh, plenty of other representational things. But, man, when they get a team that just wants to swing for the fences, they get out of their way. Right. And I think that's really cool. And, like, if you were going to tell me ram is one of the creators that i want to be able to do that andrade on a, on a miniseries like this is just got me psyched i mean the most notable work i can think of of his in the last year and a half was marvel one shots so to see him yeah carry through mm-hmm. a series is pretty exciting mm-hmm. all righty and our next bit of news well marvel comics has uh, released their solicitations for april and that includes lots of news items throughout the week to get us all hype <laughs> or sad yeah. Uh, in the top of it, uh, Tennessee Coates, uh, his Black Panther run is ending with issue number 25. I think we all saw that coming. Yeah. There, there was that long delay, and then it came back, and they Marvel actually like did a trailer for its return, only to like a week later say it's ending in April. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I think that Tennessee has had a really fun time working with Marvel and writing for Marvel. Uh, Black Panther is much more critically and I think commercially successful than Captain America is. Right. And I will be curious to see if this is a kind of starting to divest from Marvel um, or if it's not. Like, I would really love to see Tainahasi writing an X-Men book. And, oh, yeah. and, you know, you want everyone to be writing an X-Men book right now. <laughs> but, like, with regards to representation and a very specific kind of sociopolitical lens yeah. for the X-Line right now, like, there are a few other writers I can think of. No, you're right. So it'll be interesting to see if they step away or if 
this is the beginning of a new phase with Marvel. Yeah, because Captain America has had delays as well, um, outside of the pandemic even. So it's yeah, it's almost like Marvel's been like like stringing it along so that Coates is still technically somebody they can brag about having on their payroll. Yeah, it does feel that way at times, and it's like I mean I get it. Coates is probably one of the busiest writers in the world. Yeah, you know right. You know, else is also busy is uh, Donny Cates. <laughs> True. He he writes a lot of books, and uh, him and Ryan Stegman send bye to Venom with Venom number two hundred. Yeah, uh, it's an extra sized issue, and uh, I saw Stegman on Twitter saying he was surprised so many people were so upset that they were leaving the series. Uh, interesting timing, though. They revealed that they were ending their Venom run. Mm-hmm. A day before King in Black three came out. <laughs> yeah, it is interesting, and I think like I think you and I probably had the initial reaction of like, okay, this is a feint. Like yeah. they're gonna do some sort of King Thor style epilogue story or a spinoff, or the title is gonna change to like Agent Venom. Right, right. But like, IGN did an interview with them that where they spoke very plainly and said, "This is the end of Donnie and Ryan's Venom saga." This is right. a touchstone, cornerstone issue. It is a seminal piece in the Venom story. And then um, both Ryan and Donnie said, hey, we have other projects that the two of us are working on. We'll be excited to announce more of them soon. Which really reads to me like not Marvel projects. Right, like, right. I don't know. You know, Ryan has been, you've, you mentioned this earlier, but Ryan has been working for Marvel for a long time. And yeah. it's very possible that Donnie's in a position to be like, yo, I'm making a lot more money on these creator-owned books. Right. You know, Come with me if you want to live. Yeah, let's launch something. Let's figure something out. Um, and Venom 200, like, that's cool. I think that that's a cool career touchstone, whatever to have. Um, they've done a good job. They've done less of a good job recently, and maybe they're just feeling tired or stretched thin. Um it is still one of the best-selling comics of the last year. What's that, Venom? Yeah. Mm. And so I expect that a Venom relaunch is coming soon. It's so funny to think, I think it was April, we had Ryan on this show, mm-hmm. and he was like, I'm working on something huge, but I can't talk about it. Yeah. And that must have been King in Black, but... I don't know. I think now I'm not sure about that. Well, you think it's another project elsewhere? Yeah. Or it's mm. something else. Yeah. I don't think it was King and Black at the time. Mm-hmm. I do think it's weird. Like, the only thing that is super weird to me about this is, like, you think that they would be advertising King and Black as the, the final event of Kate's and Stegman's Venom Saga or whatever. And yeah. they're not really doing that, which is, like, I think that there's a story here that people would be comfortable talking about in a couple years. My theory is opposite of yours. And I actually asked this to the uh, Amazing Friends Network uh, podcast that Stegman hosts Mm -hmm. because they're going to answer fan questions, I think, on Friday or Saturday. Um, If they're going to pick up on a Miracle Man series and be given free reign to do that, because I know there are so many creators who've wanted to take up the reins of that since Marvel took over. I mean, I think two years ago at San Diego Comic-Con, they like hinted that Neil Gaiman might do something with it, but he, all he did was that one pager in the uh, Marvel Yeah, 1000. right, right. So that's, I mean, it, that's the only thing that would make me think, okay, I think Cates would continue with Marvel. But then here's the thing, though. Hasn't Cates, wait a minute, hold on. Let me just stop the train right here for a second. We, we talked about this on the show like a year ago. Like, Cates um, publicly on Twitter was like, I'm, I have a, a Venom story that goes 200 issues. 
like further further that's, down the, like that's years why i was saying i think something has changed that makes sense yeah, yeah. unless they were offered like the crown jewel but i don't, I don't even know, know if there is i don't one. even know what kind of vanity project that would have to be though like yeah. spencer's run on spider-man seems too premature really for them to be switching it up right and that's kind of the only thing i can think of at marvel that they would bite on right and i mean stegman's got you know obviously so much experience drawing spider-man so right. that would actually make some sense yeah but i don't know we'll see uh, also in the news, uh, Chip Zdarsky announced on his Twitter that there's a Spider-Man series coming out called Spider's Shadow. And basically how he articulated it is it's a extended or uh, six-issue what-if story. Instead of having a what-if story be one issue like it traditionally is. Yeah, it's a, it's a long-form alternate universe type thing. Yeah. What's funny when I saw that news is like, didn't he already do that with Life Story? Yeah, this is like, it's like as broad as Life Story in format, but narrower in storytelling purpose. Um, right. It's just another story about what if Spider-Man kept the Venom symbiote, which right. I think like, I'm kind of tired of those stories. Mm-hmm. We've done that. We've done that every 10 years since Venom was introduced. Sure. Like there's, there's a long history with telling and retelling that story. But also like, Chip Zdarsky, and and as you mentioned, Life Story, like, I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah, Life Story was amazing. Yeah, Life Story's great. So yeah, we're both looking forward to that. And then next up, and the last bit of our solicit news here, Guardians of the Galaxy 13 is kicking off the new space age, I put that in quotes for you, uh, which will include new costumes, also in quotes, new characters, also in quotes, and new artists. And Brett fucking <laughs> booth covers. Uh, the new artist is uh, Juan Frigeri, who I'm not super familiar with. Yes, Brett Booth did do the cover. Um, and the cover, I, I think, hints or shows us that Wiccan and Hulkling will be on the team. Yeah, I don't know why you the biggest would... reveal. It's super strange to me that this super weird book about space gays is getting Brett Booth covers. And I think that there's some incongruency going on in Marvel right now. And there's like, he's this... all over the place though. He's on tons yeah, of covers. I don't get it at all. Like, I don't understand it. There's this weird forced nineties nostalgia that we'll talk about in a little bit, um, <laughs> but I don't think that that's going to diminish you in storytelling potential at all. And so no, it's just a cover too. He's yeah. Interiors. Yeah. Unlike X-Men and that X-Men legends book. Yes. I still find it disappointing. I still find it frustrating. Yes, Booth will be drawing X-Men next week with X-Men number 17, I think it is. Cool. That is next week. But, uh, no, I'm psyched to see... My my opinion on this news about Guardians is that Ewing has already put his stamp on this series, but now that he gets to choose up, like change up the lineup, this is going to be the, the premier Al Ewing Guardians of the Galaxy, I think. Um, especially with Hulkling and uh, Wiccan, which were you know huge characters in um, Empire, which he co-wrote. Yeah. Or one might say he mostly wrote. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because I think Slot's name actually dropped off on like the last issue or two. Yeah. Anywho, I, I think like just giving you in dominion over the cosmic stuff is a good idea. Dominion. Next up in our news. Dark Horse Comics is releasing a new superhero book. But wait, Dave, they don't do superhero books. They do now. Well, they have done, and they will <laughs> keep doing. <laughs> it's called Jenny Zero. And they uh, they pitched it as the world's least sober hero. 
<laughs> uh, it's a it's about a superhero whose dad is also a superhero, and I, I don't think she's dealing well with that. Um, it's out in April. Looks interesting. Uh, interesting to see like alcoholism being tackled in comics like this. So mm. I'm curious to see how the narrative plays out. It could, it could get dicey. It's a tricky one to pull off. Yeah. Uh, my initial reaction to it is not good. Like, Which, like yeah. giving someone the cute tagline of like the world's least sober hero. <laughs> it's it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. cutifying it or like rarifying it in a way that I'm not comfortable with. It's a clickbaity kind of thing. It right? is, yeah, and it feels I don't know, not deserved, um, or it feels like a bad idea, especially like if the story is much more nuanced and interesting than that. Yeah, you know, or a much better representation of the struggles of alcoholism than that name or that tagline would imply. Yes, I see what you're saying. Um, I will also say that Hancock is a 2008 American superhero comedy drama (laughs) film directed by Peter Berg and starring Will Smith, Charlize Theron, and Jason Bateman. It tells the story of a vigilante superhero, John Hancock, Will Smith, from Los Angeles, whose reckless actions routinely cost the city millions of dollars. Eventually, one person he saves, Ray Embry, Bateman, makes it it his mission to change Hancock's public image for the better. Is that all you had to say about that? I could keep reading the Wikipedia page for (laughs) Hancock, but I was also like, yeah, I've seen it. I've seen the drunk superhero thing before. Speaking of bad ideas, <laughs> you actually you should check out. Yeah, uh, this is a one-two punch, huh? Wait, hold on. Chris Copeland did a great interview with the entire Bad Idea team, uh, exclusively on AAPT Comics. Uh, so go check that interview out um, to get the four hundred one on what they'll be doing in uh, two thousand and twenty-one. But also bad ideas potentially. <laughs> This week, Marvel is teasing Heroes Reborn. Uh, what is it? Was it Wednesday? They released a teaser that was very simple. It was just Heroes Reborn 2021 and uh, on a weird wooden backdrop. And then on Friday, C.B. Sabolsky, Tom Breverut, uh, Marvel's official account, and also the official Spider-Man account all tweeted presumably art from this new, I don't know, event or whatever it is called Heroes Reborn. I mean, yeah, it is a... Uh reboot revision reinvention of a i almost said 1960s 19 <laughs> late 1990s i think 96 to 97 technically um, all marvel comics are a reboot of 1960s right because that's true. when fantastic four was created true. <laughs> that's pretty good um a late 90s comic event where marvel outsourced a bunch of their work to other studios and to other creators um specifically jim lee and robert liefeld it is universally despised. Yes, it all started when Onslaught uh, ripped a tear in reality and sent all the main characters, like the Fantastic Four and Avengers, to another universe. I don't know anyone that likes it. I think it, it this, was a very big event, too. It went on forever. The, it, it's like the Clone Saga. It's like yeah. you don't know when to stop. And they just hyped the Clone Saga last week, I yeah. think, right? I, yeah. it, I, oh my god, <laughs> you're right. It seems like they're on a nostalgia trip. I don't, One might I, argue, is this a response to future, uh, yeah, future State no, at DC Comics? I don't think so. Heroes Reborn. I think future that this State. is a C.B. Sibolsky vanity project. Okay. I think that I've noticed something over the past couple of months, maybe over like the last year, actually, which is that every couple of months, Sibolsky picks one project from Marvel's lineup that he tweets about extensively. 
Okay. And every single time, it is a 90s nostalgia throwback pastiche type thing. Mm. It is always that stuff. And if that's the books he liked coming up in the industry or whatever, that's valid. I get it. I like some 90s comics. But also, it just makes me feel like him and I have a one-to-one of opposing taste. Like, the (laughs) things that he's excited about, I, for one, don't feel that a lot of other people, even internally at Marvel, are excited about. And for Mm -hmm. two, are created for a very specific audience. Mm -hmm. And one that I don't find myself in. Which also always begs the question of, is this the book he thinks is going to sell a million copies? (laughs) <laughs> like i thought you said he ran out of time last every week. time i'm like is this the one if you if you check out the apt aptcomics.com post or go to cb savolsky's twitter you can see a bunch of these images one of them is a clearly a juggernaut uh dr doom mashup. yeah his fists say doom doom oh my god i didn't catch that that's pretty his funny his knuckles say doom doom he, they actually posted a couple more jimmy uh jimmy phil colson yes he's going to become uh, I don't know, politician of some sort. Yeah, of it looks like Ben Grimm is back to being a human. Yeah, I'll, and then at the end of Friday, Sobolski tweeted, uh, some of you have been pretty close on certain images, but no one's figured it out yet. Keeps the speculation coming. I can assure you it's not what you think it is. Meaning what that it's secretly tease. Infinity Warps 2. Yes, that's what everybody Infinity in the Discord was colon, saying. Marvel Reborn, Marvel Heroes they, Reborn. I mean, it's not crazy because right like they did infinity warps and then like a couple months if not a year later they did it again yeah they like love this idea of of mashing yeah and i think like they're gonna keep trying it artificially until something catches i don't think any of those infinity warps characters are still around are they no no no. i don't even remember the details of the gamora tried to kill the universe or folded in half or something yes in the event infinity wars she killed Thanos. (laughs) Thanos. <laughs> yeah, that was in 2018. Man, was it really? Yeah, I, I only know this because I had to look it up for, to write the news today. <laughs> Man, wow. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. They're going to keep trying this until something hits it big like Spider-Gwen did. Yeah. And, you know, whatever. I think, like, it will be z- probably feel deserved and be worthwhile when one of those characters hits it off. Mm-hmm. But, like, they're super hyped about this Hulk in space image. And like, nothing looks different. I don't Hulk understand. Hulk one especially that could be something from an upcoming. It Hulk could comic. be Immortal Hulk. I don't understand. You know, I gotta say, I'm kind of mad. Yeah. There is absolutely no credit to the artists of any yeah. of this work. Yeah. Do you know how easy it is to freaking tag yeah. an artist? Yep. Yep. I mean, maybe they want to like keep it a secret and then they don't want it to get out. But come on. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I know. Yeah, it's kind of weird. We'll find out probably. I, I'm going to guess this is the big summer event. This is going to be the big event that starts in May. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Maybe it'll sell a million copies. If that's if that's <laughs> true, then my, my guess a couple weeks ago is wrong. It's not going to be a big Spider-Man event this summer. I was wrong. I can admit it. <laughs> Speaking of sales, uh, 1.25 million copies of Dogman, Grime, and Punishment sold in four months. Yep. Yeah, <laughs> that's a lot of books. This is uh, Dave Pilkey, the world's first or second best-selling graphic novelist. Um, this doesn't surprise me at all, but I just like I threw this news on one because it makes me incredibly happy. I yeah. was reading Captain Underpants books and buying Captain Underpants books from the Scholastic Book Fair when I was a kid. 
and to see Pilkey still succeeding and still making stories that are worthwhile and that kids are still engaging with, I think is really cool. One of my little brothers has like a super neat box set of all the previous Dogman books. And that makes me happy, you know, in a in a nostalgic way that is warm and enveloping, uh, not like Heroes Reborn. Right. It's fresh. It's new. And it's also accessible to multiple ages, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And um, the other thing is like, I, I just think that this is a conversation. It's marketing and sales numbers and criticism and stuff that is underserved in comics journalism. Mm-hmm. And I, I just wanted to call that out and say th- there are people, Raina Talamiger and Dave Pilkey in particular, that are on a totally different level. This mm-hmm. is astronomical units and money for the comics oh, industry. Yeah. Like, this is well beyond the norm. Uh, you can make an argument for DC Zoom or Inc., yeah. but no one really tries to capitalize on this. Right. I think in journalism and in the market, this stuff is underserved. Um, and you could say the same. We have never, ever talked about a web, webtoon comic on this show. Right. Like, there are blind spots for the comics community online and even for the people on this podcast who read 40 books a week. And, like... I am just so happy for him that he has found his lane and he's succeeding in his lane. Against all odds. Yeah, against all odds. And I also wish, like, that Marvel and DC and others saw that and understood it even a little bit more. It's tricky, right? Like, um, DC, we didn't talk about this, but DC announced Flash Facts coming out this week uh, in February. I think we talked about it last week. Did we? Yeah. Oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah, they released a trailer this week is what it was. Um... That is a book that is accessible to a larger audience, but because it's Flash, I feel like there's still like this book has obviously it's it's a series. It's only it's three volumes uh, now, but um, Flash has all this history that makes it difficult to get in on it from a casual reader's perspective. I feel, yeah, that this one has the advantage of. Yeah, so it's like the big two, especially like they handcuff themselves to these characters. Yeah, but I also think like. Kids understand Miles Morales way better than Marvel does. Right. <laughs> Which is probably why they're doing that middle grade book. Yeah. I don't know. There's something here and something that I wish we had more time and more space to talk about. We'll do it in a future segment first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not goodbye. It's see you later. Yeah, yeah. In our next segment, our top books of the week, we're going to talk about our top two favorite books of the week. And these might be your top two favorite books ever again. That's right. <laughs> that's right what is your second favorite book ever my second favorite book uh is king in black number three written by donny yeah. cates with art by ryan stegman hey i actually kind of like the narrative beats of this one mm. king in black has been a little all over the place and it's also been donny and ryan smashing their action figures together um <laughs> a little bit too much for my tastes but this one like they are playing with this idea of dylan there is a microcosm of the war between Null and the symbiotes happening within Dylan himself, kind of mm-hmm. sparked by the death of Eddie, who we know because of the Venom time is not really dead. But this idea, right. like, he has these two father figures, one that has rejected darkness and is trying to find family and is, 
is living a better life than he has before, and another who just wants to give way completely to his wanton callousness and bitterness and fixations and stuff. And, like, that is the battle that is also happening on a really grand cosmic scale between Noel and his creations, the symbiotes. And using a child as a cipher to tell that story about fatherhood and masculinity and about the razor-thin line between good and bad is is really fascinating. And I think not it's not being as intentionally delivered as I think it could be. Sure. I think that there's some really, really interesting things there that they could explore that Kate's is not interested in exploring so much as he's interested in exploring symbioted celestials. <laughs> but like it is a rock'em sock'em celestials. Yeah, right. <laughs> it is a visual and narrative feat um, that I enjoy as a page turner. Oh yeah, that's definitely also, like a turn like, your brain off kind of thing. I would never ever write a review that was like, and here's all the things that I think it could do to be better, or here's a better version of this comic, because I don't think right. that's criticism that serves anyone but me. Sure. But I like reading this book and imagining that world because there's just enough of it to touch on. I liked it too. It's not on my list, but I, I did I did like it more than I probably should have. <laughs> I mean, it's a big event. I was actually uh, talking to someone uh, the other day about this. Like, Dark Knight's Death Metal and King and Black are similar in that you have to turn your brain off to fully enjoy them. But the Dark Knight's Death Metal had such a bloated overcomplicated crazy yeah. idea yeah. that there was almost charm in that yeah sure whereas king in black is so simplistic it's literally a dude standing on a building wanting to kill a little <laughs> kid and that's it yeah and like i'm not even there's... sure if he wants to kill him or adopt him to be honest <laughs> that's true we don't know yet because he hasn't actually like encountered it. well we at the end of this, this issue, issue he's like oh my child i that's don't know true yeah who knows uh, the Silver Surfer Black reveal in this issue fucks too. Like, yeah, it's cool to see Donnie like bring all of his little, yep, yeah, like you said, action figures together. Yeah, and I think like there is some you could say out loud like that's super indulgent. Mm. He even tweeted and did interviews where he said, "No, Silver Surfer Black and Thor and whatever are going to be narratively structurally different from what I'm doing in Venom," mm. which is just a fucking lie. <laughs> but it's also right. like. With the internal logic that he set up for those books and those characters makes some of this make sense and makes it satisfying. Right. Yeah. Within his own like realm. Yeah. yeah. Right. Mr. Fantastic doesn't act ex- at all like he should, but sure, whatever. <laughs> right. Uh, my second favorite book of the week was Future State Catwoman number one by Ram V and Otto Schmidt. Um, if you liked Old Boy, don't worry, there's no disgusting stuff in this one. But there is a really <laughs> I cool... I was like, whoa. I know, I know. I got you, I got you. Um, there's a really cool... Basically, there's a train heist. I'll say no more about what Catwoman's after, but just to go through the train, and there's lots of baddies. So it's a pretty badass action uh, book. Ron V does a really good job with it, and there's a an interesting character I didn't even know existed when they revealed themselves. Uh, should I spoil it? Yeah, um, yes. There's a character in DC Comics that speaks in onomatopoeia. Uh, I forget the name off the top of my head right now, but that character is like, boom, bang, smash. And they show up at the end. And I was like, what the fuck is happening in this comic? It was a super fun action extravaganza book. And um, it's nice to know there's only two issues, 
But also it's kind of a, a bummer because the world building in Future State has been insanely good as if they've intended for this universe to exist much longer than the two months they've promised. <laughs> um, huh. Who could so, have expected that? Yeah, I know, right? It, I, I, you, you we're all expecting like underwritten half-baked one-shots when in fact almost every book has been really cool in its own way. Yeah, I think that's true, yeah. What was your uh, what was your favorite book of the My week? My favorite book of the week we've already actually talked about uh, at some length, um, including yeah. with the creator. Um, he sure was on the show. And that is I Breathed a Body, number one, written by Zach Thompson with art by Andy McDonald. Hey, this is a super weird, mycelic-focused indie horror comic about the strangeness, the strange... Um, similarities and differences between how mushrooms and the internet function hmm. so if that's your bag you should read this book yeah you should totally listen to the interview too we yeah. get into it pretty yeah. pretty good for a pre-release interview too yeah i think like something that has enriched my reading of thompson's projects and i will also say lonnie nadler's projects is that i know that they put so much intentionality and research and stuff into their books so yeah. there is a value to when you read something like I Breathe the Body and you notice specific philosophy or you notice specific references to technology or um, futurism or whatever it may be. There is something there that says this is more intentional than some other writers lucking into it. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that um, I'm going to look up a book real quick. This is a series that you could just tell there's like reams of notebook notebooks filled with information that got us there, I think. Yes. Yeah. And it also carries over themes that Zach Thompson himself has used in other stories. Um, and also the sci-fi elements. They're very unique to Zach Thompson. And I think that enriches the narrative quite a bit. Yeah. And I think like... I was trying to look up the name of a philosopher that a lot of this is based on. I can't find it right now, but I think like... Plato. <laughs> no, no. Uh, more esoteric than that. But I think that there's a a very interesting like page-to-page -page story here. I mean, the, the, someone is literally injecting their kid into the internet via mushrooms, which like visually and narratively, like that's appealing in and of itself. It's a weird, scary, intense idea. Yeah. But then the larger conversation that Thompson is trying to have with you about anxieties about the real world and using ciphers for them is very palpable. And it does not treat the reader like they're stupid or mm -hmm. anything like that. Like yeah. when you read something and you think this is an analog for a real world thing, Thompson is right there to say, yes, it is. Mm -hmm. And I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, it's a book you want to like invest time in. Yeah, it's not one you would read quickly either, which is no, no, uh, which is a it's in, breath of it's fresh intense air. It's intense and it's visually and narratively demanding, but I think like I'm just more willing to engage with these projects. You know, it's funny is my favorite book of the week is similar, even though it's DC Comics. <laughs> no, it's not about mushrooms and it's not scary. <laughs> well, maybe it is in a way scary uh it's called future state superman worlds of war number one it's by uh philip kennedy johnson and michael Jannon for the main story and then there are two backups uh one by brandon easton and valentino de landro and one by becky clunan and gleb Malkin melnikov uh also written by michael conrad um this uh was actually my most anticipated book last week and i think i basically reviewed it last week <laughs> when i talked about it really quickly um 
this is an introspective look at what Superman could mean to a variety of different people. And they all experience Superman basically in the same way, him saving the world in different ways or saving them. But they see him like as a god, as these other elements, this like hopeful thing to look forward to. Meanwhile, he is fighting in a gladiatorial ring on in War World. Uh, and we don't know why yet or, or really what's going on with that. Um, so it's like, even though this is two issues, uh, Kennedy Johnson, who is taking over Superman uh, after Future State, has done a really good job setting up our expectations for the fact that he understands this character and what it means. And that's probably the most important thing because there are writers who've taken over Superman and it's like, oh, he punches a big alien now. Oh, he takes on a big asteroid. Like, that's not what what the best Superman stories are about. It's about what he inspires in us. And I think that's captured really well in this book. Uh, the backup stories are also excellent. Uh, one's with Midnighter, violent and uh, exciting. And the other is uh, with um, Mr. Miracle, which is jarring and weird and strange and different. I think the thing about Future State that's worked for so many is it doesn't feel like straight serial superhero stories. A lot of these books, I mean, most of them, in fact, have a dark bend to them. Mm. But the way they're drawn, the way they're written, there's like a freshness, an indie-ness to them that is like taking chances because they can. And that's cool. It's my last show and I'm going to get on a soapbox again for a little bit. I'm very concerned that Philip Kennedy Johnson is subconsciously writing a more jingoistic and military-driven Superman than he means to. Okay. I think that he is not examining his own biases with regards to what Superman represents and what um, kinds of stories Superman is a very good cipher for. Uh-huh. But I also think like the art in this book fucks. So, oh yeah, Shannon's so like, best. you know, it's fine. <laughs> no, I don't really think that, but I do think like it's very complicated. And I think like it's worthwhile reading just to engage with your own feelings about Superman and the metaphor sure. that Superman serves. Right, yeah. which is in this story explaining that it, he means something different to different people. Right, yeah. That's interesting, uh, the soldier aspect. Because he's like a defender of the of the human race kind of thing. Yeah, and I also like Johnson's military history. And right. And some other complicated issues that we could spend quite a while talking about. But... And he also just did that book with Orlando, um, Kill a Man. Yeah. But it sounds, seems like he's... Uh, blowing up in a way if he's been given superman over bendis yeah yeah who would you have picked for superman to write at the same time who would i have picked to write superman um that's a tough one because it's a tough character to crack i want a philosopher type writer who do i want interesting superman's (laughs) really really specific i don't know um Kurt Busiek. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Marvels is good. Uh, not a white guy, I think. Oh, okay. Eve Ewing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, they are freed up as we talked about last week. Yeah, true. <laughs> uh moving on to our next uh segment. We could get Top so books. many clicks. If doing what? Eve Ewing leaves champions for Superman. Outlawed canceled. Superman free. Oh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're not a clickbait, no, but no. clickbait site or a podcast, I, I guess. I just used the word jingoism. We are certainly you not did. a clickbait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
You lost half the audience. In our next segment, Top Books for next week, we talk about the number one book we're looking forward to next week. I'm looking forward to the Department of Truth. Uh, you can guess why. James Tinian, Martin Simmons, killing it. Um, the first story arc is wrapping up soon. I, I don't know if it's this issue or the next, uh, mm-hmm. but they've definitely put a, a stamp on this trade paperback that everyone should be buying in a couple of months. I also think like we interviewed Steve Fox, the editor of the book recently. Yeah. And he mentioned like department of truth is doing well enough that they get to tell the story that they wanted to tell in its fullest form. Mm. And that just the idea of that, given how weird department of truth already is, makes me like in for the long haul. Like he kind of said it like they have like an ace up their sleeve and I'm, I'm very right. excited by the prospect of that. Yeah, because if the sales were low, they might take less chances, right, to capture a wider audience. Right, right. What are you looking forward to? I am looking forward to Spawn, number 314, written by Todd McFarlane with art by Carlo Barberi. A new story arc, Chain Gang, part one, introducing a new super team, the Chain Gang, Gunslinger <laughs> so Spawn, Medieval Spawn, The Reaper, and Ninja Spawn. Fuck okay, yeah. All right. Yeah. It's like the 90s kid yeah. writing the book. But yeah. actually, it's Todd McFarlane. Kid, kids love chains, right? <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck ninjas yeah, too. Right. Yeah, cool. Are ninjas, are ninjas still cool? I don't Do remember people, them being cool. When they read the name Ninja Spawn, immediately know what that character is and see it in their mind. Like, Probably. is that an established... I was like, are these established characters, or are we doing some sort of, like, Spider-Verse thing? But also, oh. how many times has Spawn been Spider-Verse already? That's true. You yeah. know, I'm I'm down for it. Whatever. It sounds fun and stupid. <laughs> Escapism is necessary in these trying times. <laughs> yeah. uh, in our next segment, judging by the cover, Junior, we're going to talk about our number one a piece of cover art that's out next week man nathan is gonna debut the show already having a stinger made for that i always talked about it oh my god you're right i'm gonna have him do that judging by the cover <laughs> junior june 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 junior <laughs> yeah uh my favorite cover art which you can see in the feature image but also on aptcomics.com the podcast post is a daredevil number 26 covered by raza and uh it's an alien variant um, I think I've picked like four of these in the last two months. Mm. Wait, no, it can't be because it's only been this month that they've owned Alien. Feels like we a long time. Up um, the solicits. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Uh, Daredevil is um, casting. It's almost like a CG look to it, and he's uh, he's all in red, of course, but all around him is just blue, and you can see his like his Daredevil senses going, uh, and behind him is an alien lurking, and it's clearly like a three D model of an alien. Probably from one of the movies, for all I know. But um, it's really dynamic. It looks realistic, especially with, like, if you look at his hands, the tape on his hands looks real. This is clearly, like, some computer voodoo, hoodoo magic going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, really impressive. Um, and just I just can't stop looking at it. Yeah. Um, close your eyes and imagine the movie Pitch Black, starring Vin okay. Diesel. <laughs> all right. And that is this cover. Oh yeah, <laughs> that that they could have done so much more oh, with that with Pitch Black. What was it called? What was that sequel called? Chronicles of Riddick. Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah. Ugh, are there two Chronicles God. of Riddick movies though? Probably. There Who are. knows? One of them is a porn version, <laughs> and Vin Diesel is in it. 
Yes, yes, he is. Uh, my uh, favorite cover of the week is Department of Truth number five, art by Danny and Tamara Bonvillain. This features the uh, crossed eyes woman, the no eyes woman. Do you mm-hmm. remember what they call her? She's like the no woman yeah, or something. Yeah, um, and she is doing her lipstick and crossing the threshold between, on the right-hand side is this vertical, all-pure white slice, and on the left is this blackness, and it has a bunch of, like, it's a hanging upside-down, sketchy blue skeleton, and another mm. skull kind of descending, and it's very, very evocative of government secrets and of the idea of keeping skeletons in your closet. Ooh, um, true. And the way that she is like walking away knowingly, you know, it's mm-hmm. like playful and scary, I think. Um, I will also say like credit to the trade dress for this. Normally oh, yeah. I really, really like virgin covers moreover, um, because they don't have all of the logo treatment or they don't have the usual treatment, but like the way that they have the image, um, it's worn down in the same the image logo, I mean is worn down in the same way that the left-hand side of the book is. And then also the Department of Truth stamp on it, which breaks its own borders, the white box on the inside. Like, it makes it look almost like this cover is, like, government-sanctioned. Or government evidence. Yeah. Yeah, 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 Um, yeah. Or, like, and even, like, the red little image logo is, like, the tab that you would go to in a folder, you know? Which Mm -hmm. is what this book is all about. And so, yeah. like, the evocativeness of that is really, really cool, intentional or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know me. I like, if, if a cover has more than three colors, I'm not looking at it. <laughs> good good, good eye on that one. Yeah. There's a bunch of little things you called out that I didn't even it's notice. Fun. And that's another book, like, I will say, just like I read the body, it's like, I think they're doing that stuff on purpose. And mm-hmm. even if they're not, the book is operating at a level that allows you to think it is. And that's sure. rewarding. Headcanon, baby. Enforce last segment. Mm -hmm. Forrest, you're leaving the show. Everyone's sad. All our listeners. (laughs) I like you telling them. (laughs) You better. You better. You better be sad. First, I want to say, uh, in X-Men Monday tomorrow, you get uh, your own questions answered. Oh, hey, cool. Look at that. You got a heads up on that. I don't know which ones. I think you asked at least three. I did three. Yeah, that's the maximum. I thought about coming up with some pen names. I can say I I did see your questions, and they were very good. Thank you. I have an insider. (laughs) I have an insider feeding me these things. Anyway, uh, in our last segment, Forrest, what is one thing you're looking forward to in comics coming out in 2021? The next year for me is all about manga. Okay. Um, yes, the year of manga. The year of manga, as I've, as I've declared it, and some friends have declared it. Um, you can if you, if you go to your your Twitter. Yeah, you can, people will catch up. You can follow that journey. I'm trying to like catch a blind spot, basically, or and also to engage with some of my biases about manga. Um, so reading yeah. a bunch more manga this year and uh, watching a bunch more anime as well, and I'm even gonna count playing anim- anime like games. People would be talking yeah. about this Genshin Impact and this 13 Sentinels, and I think I'm going to play them. Um, but I am very, very excited to have a Shonen Jump subscription. Mm-hmm. Like, that is the thing I'm looking forward to in the coming year, seeing those things. I, I left the Shonen Jump push notifications on my phone. I have them turned off for, like, everything. I think I have them turned off for my bank. 
<laughs> um, I, is that where you get like chapters of the stories? Yeah, right? weekly chapters, yeah. but you can also read all the way back. So oh, you cool. can, it's $1.99 per month and you can download, I think, 100 chapters per day. Wow. The value proposition there is crazy. It's wild. They're yeah, giving really it away. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, you know, I'm really, really excited to find out what's going on in manga. Um, to like follow some of the shonen stuff, and then also hopefully some other like micro genres and stuff like that. Um, one in particular, there is a creator named uh, Q Hayashida that created Doro Hidoro, which is one of my favorite manga series that I've read to date. It's also a really great Netflix show. Um, mm. She just started a new book. I'm gonna see if I can find the name of it. Um, Die Dark. Um, and so I'm really, really looking forward to D.A.I. Dark in the next year. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe when you uh, when you join the show again, uh, you'll be in Japan or <laughs> <laughs> reporting from your own manga podcast. For all yeah, I mean, they're sending me. It's so cheap. I don't know. I've already got some stacked up. Maybe I'll have a manga throne. Uh-oh. Or it may end you. It might fall on top of yes. you and then... <laughs> One one death in 2021 to hashtag year of manga. Oh my god, that would put the whole year of manga in perspective, I think. <laughs> that would be really telling, oh, yeah. God. Well, in our next segment, Chip Zdarsky and Jason Liu will join us for an interview on Afterlift. Thank you so much for the two years for us. I will miss you. Yeah, thank you. I'll miss you all. All right, so on with us is Chip Zdarsky and Jason Liu, uh, two creators behind Afterlift, an Eisner winner. Congratulations on the Eisner win, guys. Woo, thank you so thanks. And, and thank you so much for being on the show. Yeah, our pleasure. Afterlift is going to have a reincarnation of sorts in February when um, Dark Horse teams up with Comsology to send this to print. But the journey started way before that with the first issue out in October 2019. Uh, was the series originally being set for digital only a pro or a con in your mind? Oh man, when you said that date, I'm just like, oh, back in <laughs> back in the day when I could go outside and see people. It sounds great. Yeah, that's true. Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> I got lost in a reverie. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, we've had a lot of guests on the show, and you know, I, I constantly find out like these scripts usually are written possibly a year before they even uh, hit the stands. So I imagine this this journey of Afterlift being created and then put out has been a long one with ups and downs, of course. But I was curious, you know, as a as intended as a digital only series to start, were there pros and cons to being digital only? I'd say that the biggest pro was the actual speed of it. Like part of the reason um, mm. I wanted to do something with Comixology was the fact that I had a fair amount of titles happening at other publishers, like traditional print publishers that were long gestating. Like, mm. Um, you know, the thinking of Stillwater with Skybound, like I wrote the first script for that in 2017. Wow. And, uh, you know, there's pros for that. Like, you know, they want a lot in the can before they solicit and, um, you know, they spend a lot of time with the development, but you kind of have that itch to like do something and get it out there because with comics, there's an inherent ability there to do that. Unlike, you know, TV, movies, stuff like that, where you can just like write a thing, draw a thing, put it out. Um, mm. So the the speed of comicsology was actually um, part of the draw to it. Um, yeah, I, I forget exactly when we started working on it, but it, it felt like it partly because of Jason's speed. 
um, the, the ball got rolling really quickly. And then Comixology, you know, they get the first issue. They're like, okay, we can just put it out because they don't have to send it to a printer, <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, we we started working on it like uh, March 2019. I, I think the the, the 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 cons that we had were, or or I had when it came to like creating it was, um, like you wouldn't be able to have like any like um, creative compositions where characters would be overlapping the the borders of a panel. Like it would have to be like self-contained and and uh, and, and rectangular shaped panels for the format of comicsology, but it allowed me to approach the storytelling more cinematically, like mm-hmm. like letterbox panels. So that that was kind of neat to tell to tell a story that way. Yeah, we should add like what Jason means by that is comicsology has their guided view, right? So uh, so irregular shaped panels don't really work well with with that kind of zoom in. Um, right. I'm, I'm a, I'm a, <laughs> I'm a real traditionalist when it comes to my comic book layout. So I really prefer that. Um, but yeah, I, I can see how it could be frustrating for artists. Yeah. That's an interesting point. The, the guide of you, like, I remember when Marvel came out with infinite, uh, comics there and they tried out the like motion kind of graphics. Were you tempted at all to play around in that, in that kind of way? I, I, I personally am never tempted to play around in that way. <laughs> yeah. Same. It's a cool idea to like have like a overlay or something, but it's like, how does that work in practice? Right. Yeah. And like, you know, part, part of this project too, like there was always going to be a print component. Um, it's just that when we originally started doing it, the print component was a uh, print on demand through Amazon, Oh. Uh-huh. Uh, which, which never quite gelled. It never quite worked, which is um, partly why they started shopping around to publishers. Uh, mm. So it, to have something one of those things where you, when you, if you really want to fully take advantage of digital, then it's not going to work in print, mm. right? If you if you want to like you know play True. with play with space and motion and kind of animation, um, you know I think that's a, a totally different type of comic than the ones that Comicsology are doing right now, which is stuff that mm-hmm. can work for both. Sure. So you guys are tackling uh, hell, heaven, purgatory. Can you speak to any inspirations for these realms that you explore? I kept thinking of Paradise Lost when I was reading it for some reason. Uh, Jason, you want to take this one first? I get like I, I thought it was kind of interesting. Um, like when I was reading Chip's script about we were trying to amalgamate so many different ideas from different religions and cultures into this afterlife, where it feels more universal for everyone to connect to. Mm. I, I thought like. Like yeah, all, all like there was a lot of ideas that can that that were on the table, and uh, and me being raised Catholic, I I thought like I I I think doing like displaying elements from Christianity has been done so many times that I thought it would be much more refreshing if we added more elements that were not familiar to North American cultures. Um, and I, I thought, like, wouldn't it be interesting instead of, like, like when I was designing uh, characters like the demons, like, instead of them yeah. being red with horns uh, and devil's tails, like, brushing them up with uh, some elements that I, I was familiar with from my childhood, uh, inspired by uh, Indonesian demon masks, um, where they would have, like, they're, they're much more colorful. Um, have mm-hmm. 
bulbous eyes and um, crooked fangs and, and, and just, just a lot of fur, like lion's fur and, and stuff like that. So I thought that was really fun to play around with when it came to designing our demon hunters that were going after our main characters. Yeah, it totally adds a unique nature to the to the narrative, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then for the writing side of things, um, as we were kind of figuring out the story, uh, I ended up doing a pretty deep dive into the concept of afterlife for a variety of religions, both kind of present and past. And at some point I was like... <sighs> How do you how do you reflect all of those? Like, do you come up with an afterlife that is, you know, one version or a mixture of things? Which is kind of where we landed on the um, the idea that uh, it's different for every person. You know, what they bring to the afterlife gets reflected in the afterlife, um, which made it easier because it narrowed it down to the, the the main characters and what their belief systems were. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a scene where Janice talks about her father joining a weird Christian church. Uh, which hit really close to home for me because I grew up with a, a born-again Christian father who had some crazy ideas. Yeah. <laughs> I was curious if that detail was from your personal lives or was it something you added for a specific reason? Oh, I mean, I've, I've had family members go that route as well. Um, yeah. I had uh, uh, I had an uncle who um, I didn't really know him because he was kind of mm-hmm. kicked out of the family pretty early on. Um, when I was a kid, because he uh, took a swing at my mother, oh, and God. my dad, my dad fought him and threw him out of the house. But but uh, you just hear stories about him and like these horrible things he was kind of doing with his life. But then he found like this really I don't know what it was. It was a weird uh, Christian church, and started sending letters to all the family members, and was just like really out there stuff. And like part of me was like, I'm glad he's found something. You know, right, right. right. Um, as long as he's not hurting anyone, it's fine. But also, just like there was, it was, it was intense enough that I was like, oh, there's, there's something, there's something wrong here. And like, you know, it, there, there was a tragic end to him. Uh, at, at some point, he, he, you know, died alone in his apartment, and uh, uh, yeah, it just really made you think, like, oh, like, oh, where, where, where are we going with like the, the kind of the, the, the choices we make and and religions we. Uh, align ourselves with and little things align together you know no, i totally get it because like uh, so many so many people like they're uh like because of alcoholism or some or addiction they they turn to to religion and sometimes it doesn't necessarily work out uh for a variety of reasons jason was did you want to answer oh yeah no uh, i thought like like chip might have had like some experience like like maybe with like an Asian family, like just, just friends of an Asian family. Because like the thing is, like in my household, like we we have like the crucifix, like all, all like all, all these like Christian ornaments, as well as some like Buddhist stat uh, Buddhist statues and, and stuff like that. And 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 I think it's mainly because like my parents like were probably um, well, especially my grandma, um, like were were like they believed in Buddhism. And then when they moved to like North America, they were baptized and became Christian. And so just a fusion of, of like those religions and an Asian household, uh, I thought that was kind of relatable to like, well, when I saw like Janice's household, I was like, yeah, that's, that's almost like my household. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The complexity of, of religion and our relationship to it is, is a fascinating aspect that I think you guys touch on, uh, which like further just makes it, 
not just like a Fast and the Furious car chase uh, comic, but something a lot deeper and more interesting. And I think uh, people can kind of gravitate towards those ideas and find something in their own lives. Um, I wanted to ask, we had Chip Mosier on the show last year, and he's a great guy, uh, very talkative. <laughs> I was curious, was Afterlift always uh, going to be a comicsology project, or did, did Mosier come in and uh, pitch to you guys or anything like that? Uh, I've known Chip for years, uh, partly because of our shared name. You know, it would be a joke when we'd see each other at shows. Uh, right. We did the uh, Lakes Festival a few years ago, and he hosted a one-on-one a, a -on -one panel with me called Chip on Chip. And that's where we first kind of really started to hang out. And, yeah. Um, and he, every time I'd see him, he, he, he'd kind of pitch me on comicsology. And uh, at some point, you know, he, he kind of just, he kind of wore me down. And I was interested in just the idea of doing something that was like, you know, strictly digital at first. Um uh, just to, to see how that worked and how that felt. And also, like I said before, the speed of it. So um, so we, we've been talking for a long time before this happened. But, uh, you know, once 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 he convinced me, everything kind of fell together really quickly. Comicsology is pretty hands-off in terms of the editorial side of things. Um, uh, you know, for, for, for better or worse, I think in some cases, like, teams really need a strong kind of editorial direction mm -hmm. um we were lucky enough that i think we're all pretty professional and uh, we brought in allison o'toole to project manage and edit uh the book and she's unbelievable like she really she has great notes and she she kept the thing going on time which is fantastic she's like the ted lasso of our group she, oh my god yeah, really yeah, yeah. she really is yeah. <laughs> love that show yeah <laughs> except she doesn't lose as much as ted lasso no, oh, that's no. good. Yeah. <laughs> she breeds winners. Yeah, exactly. Jason, were you on Mosher's like docket to to do something with, or did it kind of naturally fall into place with Afterlife? Um, it's it, it's funny. Well, like I like I was I was approached by Chip about um, pitching this idea to Comicsology. Um, I I don't think I I, I knew much about Chip Mosher until like TCAF in like 2019 which was like at the same time when I was already conceptualizing the first issue and at, you know like we, we weren't even announcing uh this, like th we weren't even announcing the the book yet and and when I was like exhibiting at my table like this guy was like hey I heard uh you're working on this uh new book with Chip Zdarsky I was like how do you who told you about that? <laughs> and, That's funny. And, 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 uh, and then, because I'm Chip, I was like, no, you're not. It's uh, <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm Chip Noger. It's like, oh, and, and that, was, that, that, yeah, that was my introduction to Chip Noger. Uh, and he was like, yeah, we're, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. And uh, here we are. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, uh, what is it? Almost two years later, right? God, how does almost. time fly? Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. I love the naming in Afterlift. Like, uh, I, I I might be butchering this, but Gornax, the Grievous <laughs> Slayer of all Grenroveria. <laughs> yeah. Or uh, there's a character named Zeniacra. Yeah. <laughs> How the hell do you come up with names like this? Because I was Googling thinking, oh, he must be referencing some ancient literature or something. Same! <laughs> no, if, if, if anything, like, I, I, I Google the names that I come up with to make sure I'm not referencing something. Right. Because you don't want to give it away too. like it was kind of my 
it was my shtick early on when I was writing comics where I was like, when I'd have to name a new character, I'd do like a deep dive and find the etymology of the name that, you know, kind of summed up what the character was or gave hints as to the future of the character. And then I'm like, uh, no, that's, you don't want to, you don't want to give it away like that. Yeah. Like you should probably <laughs> steer clear. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think I just, I just tapped into my, like my Stan Lee, you know, just creating this ludicrous names for characters when it came to this. Nice. Uh, I remember like Googling one of the names and like on Google images was this fraternal statue. And I was like, okay, how can I like make this concept come to life? <laughs> and I was like, oh, wow. okay, I'm just going to start from scratch. Cause this is, yeah, all these Google images are not going to work for me at all for inspiration. <laughs> it's funny too. Cause I don't usually Google names that I'm unfamiliar with, but for some reason I was like drawn to these names cause they were, I, they're kind of fun to say too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you, you have to. Yeah, I mean, you have to enjoy the names of the characters you create because you're going to be typing them a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, and telling Microsoft Word or whatever you're using that it's not a, a misspelled word. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> have either of you played Rocket League before the video game? No, I've I've only seen YouTube videos of wrestlers playing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's basically soccer, but it's cars, and they have. Uh, they can like rocket around and i when i was reading i think it was uh the first or second issue there's the scene where the car is driving on the side of a building i thought of rocket league and i was wondering if you guys had uh, experienced that game at all no no not at all i mean most of the inspiration from from the driving stuff in this was uh the later fast and furious movies <laughs> oh that's funny yeah because it's like I, I keep, Fast and the Fierce has owned that market for so long. It's almost like you can't think of any other car chase movie that even like rivals it. Well, they they became superhero movies with, I think, movie number five. Like when the right. cars start doing stuff that's just like so ludicrous. Like, you know, a car riding up the side of a building. I wouldn't be surprised to see it in a Fast and Furious movie. Yeah, right. And I think they're going to space in the next one. Of course, which is, of course they are. <laughs> Now that uh, we were talking about Fast and Furious, would you guys ever do a crossover with Fast and Furious? Let's say Vin Diesel's like, I want to do a comic with Afterlift. Would you guys be game for it? No, I hate money. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. If Vin Diesel's listening, uh, okay, sure, fine. Maybe for one or two issues, sure. Yeah. Since, yeah. since I've been practiced, like, uh, I've practiced enough drawing cars, like, why not? Yeah. It could be one of those uh, comics that are like bagged with another comic or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the book ends in an interesting cliffhanger, which I won't spoil for anyone, but it did make me wonder, have you guys pondered doing a sequel? Uh, no. Like, it, it's funny. Um, part of the draw to this was creating a story that has a beginning, middle, and an end. Because working on mm -hmm. Marvel and DC books... You know, Matt Fraction once said to me that it was like working on a continual act two, mm. where you don't really, you know, you don't set it up and you don't finish it off. You kind of just kind of keep things churning and pass it on to the next writer. Um, so the fact that we were able to tell a complete story here was extremely satisfying. And maybe, maybe it's just like in the back of my head, I still have the Marvel instinct to like have the possibility of a sequel. But for when I was writing, I was like, oh, this is a good ending. This is the end. Like, there's nothing mm -hmm. after this. Um, but I've noticed since then, like I've had questions like that, where it's like, oh, does that mean there's going to be a sequel? And I'm like, no, no. <laughs> like, and that's exciting, right? Yeah, that's it happens so often these days. I know. I I love the idea, like especially with the Dark Horse edition, just somebody being able to hand somebody a copy of this and being like, here's the story, not mm -hmm. you know, here's Howard the Duck Volume Two. 
<laughs> right. Uh, so yeah, it's one of those things where Comicsology did talk to us afterwards because it did well enough that they were like, "Oh, do you want to do a you know a season two, a volume two? And we're like, "No, we've got <laughs> other ideas though." And so oh, nice. you know we'll 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 end up working again with Comicsology on on more projects. It just won't be a direct sequel. Sure. I, I think it would be like a hard follow up to like how it ended with Afterlift. Like I don't think right. if there were if there was even a possibility of a sequel, it's like I don't think it's going to be as good as the first one for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Jason, do you do would do you miss drawing any of the characters? Yeah, like Dumu seems like a very cool character to draw, um, especially like just just being inspired by like some of the Google searches. I think I was like looking under like Gucci suits and, and finding the right ones and then thinking of like like the the demon concepts of him to to kind of reflect that look like i, I just I, I i love both of his looks which is kind of fun right yeah it's, that transformation is interesting mm-hmm. so it's interesting the series like again like it, it started as a comicsology original it was then released as a comicsology trade now it's coming to dark horse february 2nd it's almost like you guys get to relive the launch of this book over and over. <laughs> In yeah. a way, Afterlift is Buddhist, right? You're like reincarnated over yeah. and over with. Yeah. And, and like, I think Chip, you you uh, in your uh, newsletter recently, you you posted the review from I think it was Publishers Weekly or something. Yeah. Like people are refinding this. Like they should have reviewed it by now, but they didn't because you know once again it's in the news. How does that how does that feel like does it change the relationship to the work knowing that people are you know re like finding it again and again it it has been interesting seeing the different audiences and what they gravitate toward um you know uh, part of the reason why I want to do this as a comicsology book was to kind of experience what that was and see you know hey will this like draw readers to other works of my stuff that maybe don't tend to go for the print side um the, 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 I, what I noticed was the downside of it was you don't get the publicity bump of New Comics Day. Oh, true. Like you, like you don't get people like posting about going in the comic shop. You don't get comic shops posting about it. Like, um, uh, it, it's, it's a very specific audience that just buys on Comicsology, and so it was like new faces, which was good, um, talking about the book, but. Uh, the print side of me was just like, oh man, I kind of missed the uh, the new comic book day thrill when you got the new issue out and you see people kind of talking about it directly from comic shops. Um, so uh, I I really like the fact that you know this trade's coming out and, and we're getting a bit more of that now. Um, yeah, yeah, it feels like it, it's it services everybody well, like to do the the, the digital version and then a, a nice because it is it is physically nice. Like Dark House Dark Horse spent some time on. The production values of the book so it's a really nice object as well and, mm. and to have those people who are into that experience get a version of the story now is, is satisfying and hopefully we'll see it in a book list this year oh true yes it's kind of interesting too because it came out a pretty good length ago before the trade comes out so it's like it is like people can find it for the first time if they missed out yeah, yeah, and I, I, I get the instinct too. Some people just don't want their stuff digitally. True, right? Or, or you know, yeah, vice versa. Like one of the things I did notice working on Sex Criminals for years was a lot of people at comic conventions would say that they were they read it all digitally, 
but then they wanted a physical collection afterwards, like something that they could have on the shelf. So, right, so yeah. there, there are people like that who, you know, double dip into a, a, a book, um, which is also interesting because I don't, I don't necessarily have that instinct myself. Yeah, it's like they want to, by owning it, they somehow like take ownership over the work or something. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, also partly like I'm seeing these people at comic conventions and um, I don't sign too many iPads. <laughs> <laughs> true, 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 true. Yeah. You could sign the back maybe. Oh, I have. So are you guys, would you like people to do selfies with the book when it's out and, and, and to tweet at you? Yo. Oh, God, no. That kind of promotion? <laughs> <laughs> That'd be that'd be great. Like, I, yeah, like that's 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 the thrill of it is like seeing it in in people's hands and um, uh, just knowing that people are actually like getting copies and enjoying it. It's kind of easier to give as a gift as well in the yeah. physical format. Yeah, yeah, it's more satisfying. Right. Yeah. Especially with a universal story like that, where it's it's mm. it won't it, like it, it could attract not just like people that are into superheroes, but just people that just want some good storytelling and oh where was he trying to get go with this like it like i, I think it, it, it can just attract just a wider audience like at, like at libraries like you'll, you'll probably see it on displays there and mm-hmm. oh man uh, i sorry i lost my momentum basically that, but, what you're saying is we're great and people should read it right <laughs> <laughs> i mean like everyone will will love it not yeah it, it's it's a story for everyone <laughs> It could turn up in like high school, right? Like before they read Paradise Lost, they're supposed to read Afterlift. Yeah, there you to go. Underst- Perfect. Underst- yeah. Understand how even better. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. I mean, it is one of those books where, like, uh, you know, my my wife doesn't tend to read uh, the work that I do. She doesn't. She's not as into Spider Man as maybe I am. But mm-hmm. um, but this is this is one of the only works that I've done that she's she's read. Oh, cool. And and then. That's exciting for me. I'm just like, oh, hey, look at this! Like people that normally don't kind of read the type of work I do, um, find uh, Afterlift more accessible. Right there, you go. Well, are there any other projects you guys want to talk about that are coming out in 2021? Oh boy, we can't really. No. I, uh, I will say that Jason and I are working on uh, a couple of things, um, which are underway, and they're very exciting. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Big tease. <laughs> yes. <laughs> They're very exciting. Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. And, you know, I'm just, I'm still, you know, trucking on with the Marvel and DC stuff as well. Yeah. You've had a crazy week. I mean, Spider's Shadow was announced this week. Yeah. It was, it was weird. It was kind of like everything just kind of hit back to back. It was like the Black Hammer issue, Silver Coin for Image, and the, uh, the Sp- yes, Silver Coin. Spider Shadow. And there's like three more, I think, they are being announced next week. <laughs> like oh it's, boy. it's all Whoa. stuff I've been working on for years. And then uh, for some reason, everything's just lining up right now to be announced or come out. Whenever that happens, it reminds me of actors because like sometimes you don't see an actor for a year and a half, but then all of a sudden they have six projects out within three months. Yeah, and then everyone gets sick of them. That's what I'm <laughs> So in our last segment, Off Topic Top Shelf, I'm going to ask you guys what you're into right now that's not comics related. We like to end the show this way. Uh, you know, for the fans that hate comics but somehow are tuning into the APT Comics podcast, this is for them. Oh, boy. Jason, you go. Um, it could be anything. It, it could be a Netflix show. It could be a new hobby you're taking up, anything like that. Oh, yeah. When it comes to, like, a new hobby I'm taking up, I, uh, I've been working on a building miniature furnitures for uh my star wars action figures oh cool yeah uh I, i've been working on star wars dioramas for 
for about two years and, and now I'm, I'm i'm just gotten into like the details of of just making some good furniture for them so i gotta ask you is it harder to make star wars furniture than mini star wars furniture versus like normal wooden chairs and whatnot <laughs> Um, I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely easy when, when you're cutting like foam core and stuff, but like, it, it's all about like the right execution and finding the right materials of like fabrics when it comes to like, um, what is it? Um, like, yeah, just, just like, like the right fabrics for, for comfy sofas or, or chairs. I, like I made like a pretty cool armchair with, uh, um, with the legs that I made out of the tips of chopsticks so it, huh. it, it's it's great when you when you can try to find things that you would not think of like in your everyday life and like just recycle that into something that can be reused for a very small scale furniture set. Man, I want to see these. Do you post these on Twitter or any or on a website or anything? Oh, uh, you can definitely find them on my Instagram account. Uh, you can find me at at rebel underscore Lou, and it's I, I mostly post a lot of my Star Wars customs and and. Uh, dioramas. Nice. What are you into, Chip? I, I wish I was as interesting as that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, I've been reading a lot of novels and comics for work, but uh, the, the most exciting thing for me has been uh, post-Afterlift, weirdly, is uh, learning to drive. Oh, you, you didn't have your license yet? No, no. Wow. Uh, it was one of those things I kind of, as the pandemic hit, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should have a way to escape things <laughs> if things go wrong. Right, right. So uh, no one wants to get into an Uber these days. Yeah, yeah. Then that's part of it. Like you know, uh, I was living in Toronto, and like you know, normally I would just take transit uh, or bike everywhere. But you know, thinking about the colder weather and you know, uh, transit during these times, I was like, oh man, I should, I should. This is the point in my life where I should know how to drive. And I, I love it. Like, I got my learners, and I've been going out most days. And um, it's 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 pretty fun. Yeah, it's like a video game. Only just don't run over people. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's what my wife keeps reminding me. It's not, it's not Grand Theft Auto, which I'm very good at. Uh, oh, that's good. Well, there you go. I mean, that was your first practice. Yeah. <laughs> I remember playing Grand Theft Auto and thinking, like, when I got in my car, like, okay, I need to calm myself down. Yeah, I noticed that just as a passenger in like taxis and stuff, where I'd just be like, "Why isn't this guy going on the sidewalk?" <laughs> I mean, they did it in Die Hard with a Vengeance, so why can't we? Exactly. That's what I look to for all my life lessons. <laughs> well, Chips Ojarski, Jason, thank you so much for being on the APC Comics podcast. Afterlift is going to be in bookstores February second, and in comic book shops February third. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, David. Thanks for having us.